You're about to listen to the Meet Mediocrity Podcast, Season 5, Episode 19. My guest today is Carly Johnston. You can find Carly on Instagram at Healing the Anxious Mind. Want to hear more about Healing the Anxious Mind? Let's get started. Season 5, Episode 19. This is the 104th episode of the Meet Mediocrity Podcast, and it is the second to last episode of Season 5. This is your host, Mitch, and I am very excited about today's podcast. And yes, I do often say that I'm very excited about a podcast episode, but this one I'm excited for for a different reason. So as some of you may know, um, one of the challenges I often have, I'd say maybe even the biggest challenge I have when it comes to the podcast is finding interesting guests. I will be honest with you. I've had friends. I've had acquaintances. I've had people who I have aspired to speak with. I've been rejected by a number of people. I have seen people on social media that I thought were interesting. And I also have a podcast production assistant. Her name is Vic, Vic Allen. She's based in the UK and she's become a good friend of mine. And Vic has helped me um, with a lot of the Instagram kind of ideas and, and um, kind of thought leadership for posts. She's helped me with my newsletter She helped me when I was um, more regularly producing videos for YouTube, and she sometimes helps me find podcast guests, especially when she sees someone interesting on social media, and that is how Carly Johnston came to pass. Carly came to pass because I got an email from Vic that said, check this out, Healing the Anxious Mind, Carly Johnston. She seems interested. I, Vic, reached out to her, and she is interested in being on your podcast. Now, these situations are a little bit of a hit and miss, because sometimes you find a diamond in the rough, and you find a great guest, and sometimes, I won't say which guests, because <laughs> some of the guests have been on the podcast, but some are, you have to kind of pull the interesting story out of. How about that? Good guests, always good content, but sometimes you need to pull the story out of them. Not the case with Carly. We had a great discussion all about anxiety, about her anxiety, about how anxiety led to her growth, led to her Instagram page, and even led to her concentration in medical school. So um, it was really a great conversation that you're about to hear. And um, I'm definitely not going to steal any more of her thunder, but I am going to say this before I move on to the discussion with Carly. Um, As I said earlier, this is the second to last episode of the Meet Mediocrity podcast for season five, and I will be incredibly honest, I can't figure out what I want to do about season six. So I'm definitely going to take a few weeks, maybe even a couple of months off. We're getting closer to the summertime. So sometimes that means uh, less listeners or listeners who'd like to spend some time catching up on old episodes. Gives me a chance to refresh. And my question that I'm asking myself is, what do I want to do with season six? Is this another um, season of of lining up guests to speak with? Is there a, a special group of guests to speak with? Is there a different format to use? I'm toying around with some ideas, but I haven't landed on any of them, and I am totally open to suggestions. So I would love to hear from any of you about suggestions for season six. Guests, formats, themes, you name it. Um, So that is just a preview on what's ahead as this episode 19 of season five with Carly is my second to last episode of season five. So that's the tee up. And without further delay, here's my conversation with Carly Johnston, Healing the Anxious Mind. So Carly, thanks for being with me today. 
Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited for our conversation. Carly, it's, it's you know, there are some guests who are family and friends. There are some guests who are people that I've wanted to get as guests for a long time. And then there are like random people like Carly, who I come across your Instagram page. I'm like, this looks interesting. We'll see how this plays out. I, I reach out. You come back. We have a conversation. I'm like, this is a very interesting person. This is going to be a great conversation. So I'm really looking forward to it, even though you're like this random person. <laughs> I don't feel like a random person. You welcomed me and I really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm glad you don't feel like a random person. Um, Carly, um, your Instagram page that caught my attention yeah. is called Healing the Anxious Mind. I'm like, yeah. I'm in. I'm in. I, 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 honestly, to be honest, Carly, I think, honestly, I think everyone has an anxious mind. It's just mm -hmm. how aware are they and how much are they willing to admit? Yeah. Um, tell me what you tell me a little bit about um, why you came up with uh, healing the anxious mind and, and what is it and, and how did you get there? Yeah. So healing the anxious mind came to me probably a year and a half ago. I think January, 2021 was when I started. So mid COVID, really, mid COVID. Mid COVID. Yeah. I had gone through my own personal journey with mental health, um, really strong, heavy bout of anxiety starting before I started med school and then continuing on. And it was just starting a lot before med school. When did you start med school? Uh, I started med school September of 2020. So okay, I started, so I'm like a pandemic, yeah, ago. I'm a yeah. pandemic med school student. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, yeah. So I started then and I was just, I was so lost in my own journey that I had no idea what to do. And I just started reading books. I started picking up books. I picked up Panicking About Panic by Joshua Fletcher. I will always credit him for just changing my view of anxiety and changing my journey because I realized that anxiety was just something that I was experiencing. It wasn't who I was. So what I did was I just started to read and I just started to learn. And I learned so much at that point that I just wanted to share it. And I just wanted an outlet to connect with other people who might be experiencing a similar experience. And so I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to start this this page. And that's where healing the anxious mind came about. And to be honest, healing the anxious mind was healing my anxious mind. It wasn't anybody else's when I started. It was truly just mine. So was <laughs> then, you, were you yeah. always, were you always a, um, did you always uh, suffer from anxiety or did it just kind of come on? Was it triggered by events? Yeah. So, you know what? It probably just came on. Looking back at it, if I look at sort of my life, I pushed myself very far. I was volunteering at seven different places, doing my undergrad, doing research. I was pursuing medicine. And in Canada, we only have 13 medical schools. So realistically, it's slim pickings. Um, <laughs> and I had, to, I had to work and I actually got to stay in my own province, which was wonderful. So I got to stay where I am. But it was truly just my own experience. And looking back on it, I might have had a few tendencies, but I try not to write a story too much into my experience with anxiety before, because mm -hmm. then I started to describe myself as an anxious person. Everything that I did was somehow tied to anxiety, which it mm. wasn't the case. You'd like digging maybe, a rabbit hole for yourself and there's no need to do that. Exactly. I right. might've been somebody who tended maybe toward a little bit of overthinking, tended to be a little bit more stressed out, a little bit more type A a little bit more perfectionist, people pleasing, all of those things. Ooh, but I wouldn't you sound necessarily like me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I can relate to all of those things. All of them. Yes, me too. Now that I've done the work, I'm like, oh yes, that was that was a problem. But I didn't mm -hmm. see it as a problem. It was just my life. It was right. just how I was living. Same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And truly, like I, I resonate so much with the term high functioning anxiety because I was so high functioning and I was so high achieving that truly I didn't even think I was anxious. I didn't experience that, though. When I look back, I was getting headaches like every day. Mm -hmm. I was surviving off of caffeine, poorly sleeping, exercising, but to the point where I was over exercising and I was mm -hmm. doing it because I had to, not because I loved to. And there were so many things of my life that were just piling up that caused me just to sort of hit this breaking point. And literally I was sitting on my computer, sort of like I am now teaching. I was teaching an online course and I was just teaching and out of nowhere, I just couldn't breathe. It came out of absolutely nowhere. And that's when the anxiety, and then every day I just thought it would go away. I went to sleep that night. I was like, well, that's it. Because to be honest, my knowledge of mental health was very limited before I experienced it myself. 
I had, I had supported friends through their mental health journeys, but I, it was one of those things where I truly never knew how to support them in the best way because I'd never experienced it. And not do you, you don't have to experience it to understand what someone might be going through, but it sure does change your perspective if you've also experienced what you're talking about, what mm -hmm. you experienced. So that's something that really resonated with me. And then from there, it just, it kind of, it was a journey that I was own on to heal my anxious mind. And so far I'm really enjoying the journey that I'm on and how many more people's journeys I've touched along the way. So funny how, um, there are certain people like you, like me, who, when you're feeling not at your best, yeah. you like you're driven to solve it. You're driven yeah. to, to to learn about it, to understand it, and try to solve it. Mm -hmm. And on on one hand, you might say, you know, that's a bit much. That's a bit overdriven. Yeah. I like to view it as incredibly resourceful. Mm -hmm. Because what you're really striving for is a, a better, a better version of yourself. I mean, that's yeah. kind of what this is all about, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you mentioned, you mentioned um, the book by Jonathan Fletcher. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit about not necessarily, you know, the book maybe, but, but just what did you learn? What did you learn mm -hmm. about anxiety, about yourself, someone who, you know, you would not have classified as an anxious person, but was suffering from some form of anxiety um, mm -hmm. at an acute level. Um, yeah. What did you learn and what were you able to do about uh, with that learning? Yeah. So I think the first thing that I learned that was really in the book, but just something that resonated with, with me in general is I have a background in human physiology. I understood all the science, but the science doesn't help when you're experiencing acute anxiety. It doesn't help when you're experiencing a panic attack. And it was very overwhelming to try and think myself out of that space. Mm -hmm. Every time I would experience anxiety, I try to think myself out of it and solve it. And in reality, the first thing I learned was one is anxiety is just adrenaline. It's just your body's fight or flight system saying, oh my gosh, there's a bear. Is there actually a bear? No, um, there's no bear. Though when there is a bear, we want that system to activate. I want to be able to run away. Um, for example, I have a puppy and the other day her leash dropped in the park and I freaked out because she will run. She will just run and go. And luckily I was able to just drop, give her a treat and she came back. But all that adrenaline was still in my body and I felt it. My legs were weak. I was breathing very shallowly and that didn't bother me anymore because that was normal. I was like, I should have adrenaline. I was about to literally sprint after my seven month old dog in the right. park. So she doesn't get hit by a car or anything right. like that. And that was normal. But that experience was happening when I was walking down the road, when I was sitting in my house. So the first thing that I really realized was it's just adrenaline and understanding that there wasn't more to it, that I didn't have to start focusing on each individual symptom. Cause that's what I was stuck doing. Mm. It was like, Oh my gosh, I can't swallow. Oh my gosh. My tongue is too big for my mouth. Oh my goodness. Like I can't focus. Like all of those little things felt very overwhelming when I focused on them. But when I opened the umbrella of anxiety as just a term in that moment, it helped me to deconstruct all the little things I was feeling and understanding that it was an umbrella experience of adrenaline. Mm. So that was the first thing that I learned was just, okay, it's adrenaline. I can, I can get on board with that. And I would personally much rather call anxiety, which is what Joshua Plesher uses in his book, is just an adrenaline rush or an adrenaline release rather than calling it anxiety. Because I think that we still have a lot of connotations to that word. And sometimes people write narratives and stories. And that's what I did. I definitely took this anxiety story and I ran with it and I kept it going for months on end because all I could think about was what I was experiencing was anxiety, no matter what it was, even if it was normal, I would just be like, Oh, that's anxiety. Oh, that's anxiety. And then it just became overwhelming. Right. So that was one thing that I really learned early on was like, okay. And then two is that you can search for everything external. You can search for the, the ideal sleep and the ideal this. Nothing will solve what you need to turn inward to solve. And that's where I found my answers. I didn't find my answers, though very helpful to move your body and to sleep properly and to eat and drink regularly and to limit your caffeine. All those things are very helpful, but those don't solve anxiety. Those don't fix it. And if you're going into anxiety to fix it and to get rid of it, then you're going to be in for quite a difficult journey because I was, I searched everywhere. I tried supplements that I'd never heard of before because they, they somehow released anxiety. 
I tried a bunch of different, you know, natural herbal methods. I talked to my doctor about taking medication because I just wanted it gone. I didn't want to sit with it. I didn't want to understand it. All I wanted was for me to go back to my normal life. I wanted to go back to working super hard, pushing myself to the brink and expecting nothing to give the other way and expecting my body to just handle it. So when I really realized that anxiety just isn't something that you can fix, it isn't something that you can solve. It's something that you learn to accept and learn to sort of flow with as it comes, because it's not just going to go away overnight. I really wish it did. I really wish that I could just, you know, say that I healed, I went to sleep, I woke up and it was gone. And it wasn't, it was like a two year process of slowly feeling a little bit better each day and then feeling worse and then feeling better and then feeling worse and then feeling better. And my trend has been upward, but there's definitely still bad days. There's definitely still days that I struggle, but understanding that you're not here to fix it or to solve it. And for me, my personality wanted to fix. I just wanted to be like, okay, what's the problem? What's the solution? And there wasn't an easy solution. It was a long process of healing where I started to learn more about myself and I'm still healing. I may not be, and I don't think that anyone can ever just say I'm healed or healing. I think we're all on a different journey. It's just the focus of that journey is different throughout our lives. So maybe my healing journey now is not so much focused on anxiety it's focusing on a lot of the tendencies that brought me to a place of anxiety, the perfectionism, the people pleasing, all of those things I now have time to tune into because I'm not focused solely on that anxiety piece anymore because that healing journey is still going, but it's much slower now because things have calmed. My nervous system has regulated. I've changed the way I view it. And that's really changed my perspective on what anxiety is. I love I love that. And I love the thing that you said about adrenaline because yeah. you know, you, you made a comment about do you, you know if there's a bear, you mm-hmm. want the fight or flight or fight or flight reaction yeah. to kick in. And mm-hmm. look, I've I've had um panic attacks in my life and mm-hmm. You're right. Looking back on it, it is a huge rush of adrenaline. And mm-hmm. because there's no bear there, mm-hmm. um, it's I, I've I've personally concluded that it's caused by runaway runaway brain. Mm-hmm. Runaway brain. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the things I, you know, I, I mentioned to you that one of the things I love about doing this podcast is I've met yeah. so many interesting people and, and it, the pe- the people and their journeys and what they're trying to do has actually helped me. And mm-hmm. I've had guests who speak about um, a lot of different things, but, but two yeah. things, definitely meditation. Yeah. And, and the other that I had just a few weeks ago is someone who folk does journaling mm-hmm. and, 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 and there are there are others, but those two in particular catch my attention because what they really do is slow down the runaway yeah. brain. Yeah. And as soon as you slow down the runaway brain, you can start to deal with anxiety. Now, I'm not a doctor in any stretch of the imagination, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's the runaway brain that, mm-hmm. and especially when you don't know it's running away because you're too stressed to even focus on it. Yeah, like, I don't know what's happening to me, but really, mm-hmm. if you're able to break it down, you're like, oh my gosh, there's so many things flooding my head. It's one big anxious blur. Yeah. It's, that is not as easy as it sounds to get your arms no. around. Not at no. all. No, it's very difficult. And I think that we focus so much on that trying to fix and solve in that moment that we forget about all the other moments that we can make active choices and see that healing. So that big moment dissipates faster. That big moment doesn't mean as much. And we forget that the work exists outside of everything. Like for example, therapy, you go to therapy. Wonderful. You can do the work when you're in therapy, but you have to continue to do the work outside of therapy or therapy becomes not really that helpful because you're only doing the work solely in that one hour session every three weeks or every month or every week even. And oftentimes that's not where the work happens. The work happens is when you use those skills, you use those things that you're talking about therapy in your life outside of that one session. You know, that is so, so true. It's like, it's like almost anything else. I almost, you know, I think about like some, I always use sports analogies and I'm thinking about um, just athletics in general. And yeah. it's one thing to practice a sport. It's another thing yeah. to go to the gym and get in shape. Yeah. 
Yeah. And if you go, if you go to therapy and all you do is talk about the problem of the day mm-hmm. and, and you just beat up the problem of the day and you don't yeah. learn any skills that can, that can translate into the rest of your life. It's yeah. kind of, it's kind of like um, a sport. A great example might be uh, tennis. You could be a mm-hmm. great, you could have a great tennis stroke and return the ball. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if you don't go to the gym and make your core strong and your shoulders strong and your your cardio strong, you'll hit yeah. the ball back and forth ten times, and then you'll get tired and you won't be able to keep doing it. Yeah, and, or you'll injure yourself. That's not fun either. Yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So I feel like therapy done right is mm-hmm. like the gym part of the yeah. training. It's that that oh, building yeah. that foundation so that when mm-hmm. you actually go on the tennis court, you can execute. Yes. The therapy session you can actually execute on life. Yeah. Um, so wow, this you're cool. I like this. So um let's talk about so you said that healing the anxious mind started as healing your mind, healing Carly's yeah. mind. But mm-hmm. you know, I've looked at your Instagram page, you've got freaking a ton of followers, certainly compared to me. Um, and your posts are really, really good with tips and insights and and tricks, and I love it. But um bring this to life because I I feel like your Instagram page is more than simply some cute videos and some cute, you know, this is what you should do every day. There's more to it. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how it has evolved and how yeah. it has helped others. Yeah. It's so funny. Sometimes I scroll through, especially near anniversaries, like in January, I scroll through and I just sort of see what it looked like. And it truly has been my journey. If you ever, I don't know why anyone would want to scroll 400 posts, but if you ever want to scroll 400 posts, like I do sometimes, you'll see that truly healing the anxious mind has been a journey of finding myself. And in finding myself, I've found and connected with like-minded people of all different walks of life who also are on a journey to find themselves. And it may be anxiety. It may not be anxiety. It may have been that they never thought about anxiety as a thing. And then they saw some of the posts that I shared or some of the colleagues that I work with in the same space shared. And they were like, hey, that is me especially the high functioning anxiety piece, because that doesn't carry a diagnosis. If you go to your doctor, there's no, if you don't experience the signs of um, generalized anxiety disorder or panic disorder, high functioning anxiety isn't a, a medical diagnosis yet. So if you're experiencing that, you may not know what to do. You may not recognize the science and nor may your healthcare professional, depending on how well they're trained. So truly healing the anxious mind was an evolution of my own growth but an evolution of being so comfortable with myself that I feel okay to share any piece of my journey with this community and with my colleagues and my friends on here and know that if I help one person, that makes all the difference to me. And I know at this point, I've probably helped more than one person, but truly the the big empath in me just wanted to make sure that one person didn't want, didn't feel alone anymore didn't feel like they were misunderstood, like they weren't being helped. And that's sort of how this healing the anxious mind journey has grown and explored. And it's truly a reflection of the work that I've been doing and how that work now overflows and radiates to everyone around me. And I I sort of view it as like a garden where like at at first it was just this small flower in the pot that was kind of droopy. And that was me. (laughs) I was like this droopy, sad little flower. And then it rained a lot. And then the flower kind of got overwhelmed by the rain and the rain was too much for me. But then now, because I've been doing the work, because there's been some sunshine, but there's also still been rain. There's a natural balance of sunshine and rain. There's a garden that's just flourishing around me. And that's the community that we've grown. And I hope that everyone feels a similar way where they're also growing and learning about themselves in the process. Well, you know, um, you definitely have have quite a community, and and my my thinking, Carly, is you know use the term high functioning anxiety, which I wasn't familiar with, yeah. um, but I, I honestly I think most people <laughs> are high highly functioning anxious people, and, yeah. and in part it's because of humanity, like yeah, society. Even, yeah, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Yeah. You know, obviously, you and I are living today. You and I didn't live a hundred or two hundred years ago, or, th- or a million years ago. So we don't know how how stressful it was finding food and being chased by a dinosaur. But nonetheless, sure. I'm sure that was stressful too. Um, <laughs> but yeah. um, 
when you think about today, whether it's mm-hmm. COVID or or geopolitical issues or, or or wars or global global climate change, I mean, there's just so many things mm-hmm. that make people anxious. Yeah, and um, I I would venture to guess um, that most people are high highly functioning anxious people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious whether um, in your your experiences uh, of just connecting with people around this, like how how right or wrong am I when it comes to society today? Yeah, honestly, I agree with you. I think a lot of society today, first off, there's this huge stigma against mental health. Yes. And I can speak as well from the healthcare community, doctors and nurses and any healthcare practitioner are not supposed to have mental health problems because they're supposed to be this, this idealized sort of perfect thing that help everybody else, but aren't human. Um, and I think like the truth doctor, she's absolutely amazing. She talks about therapists being human first. We are all humans and then we may be our profession. And I think that that really rings true to me going into the healthcare field and saying, you know what, like we are human first, we struggle, we experience things. We, especially a lot of us may experience mental health struggles and that doesn't make us any less of a physician or a nurse or a a physio or whoever it is that honestly sometimes makes us more, um, the amount more of compassion and space I have to hold for people struggling now and the awareness that I carry around that is so much more great than it was before. And it's not that I didn't care for people before, but my understanding of things is so much more at a deeper level because you can only meet somebody with the same depth as you've met yourself. And I've met myself with such a great depth now that I feel like I can connect to people at a deeper level because I have that space and that capacity to do so. And I no longer write a story that I'm limited by my anxiety because that's not who I am. That's not who anybody is. And I think it's really important for us to remember that anxiety is something we experience. It's not who we are. So like I always say my experience with anxiety because it's not my anxiety. It's not mine. I don't want one. It's not that I don't want it. I accept it. It's sort of just a buddy of mine that I hang out with. But at the same time, I truly, it's not me. It's not who I am. It's not attached to me anymore. And I attached to myself for so long. And now I realize that it truly is an experience. Anxiety is just something we experience. It isn't something that we are. And I think that as a society, we have so many societal pressures to do everything and be perfect and do all the things and be and just never break and never have bad experiences or bad days or hard days. And we're still working on normalizing a whole breadth of emotions because toxic positivity is there, you know, hiding your anxiety behind a smile or hiding your mental health struggles behind a smile because you feel like you have to um, is still there. And I think moving forward, being more mindful of these things, and we see the shift, shifts are happening. They're slower, of course, with any change, especially on a societal level, it's going to be slow. But I see the change. And especially being in this community, I see the change. I see the conversations happening that just didn't happen before. I never learned about mental health in high school. I did not learn about it in undergrad either. I learned about it truly when I experienced it myself, but it was never talked about. And I hope that we're giving kids today and young people today, a better understanding of what mental health looks like. Like part of my work outside of this, I'm part of a club that just does reproductive mental health chats to, or reproductive health chats. And then with an emphasis of mental health, and I run the mental health aspect of it for high school students. And we just go in, we Mm. do presentations, we teach them about reproductive mental health. And it is so important because no one knows about mental health or they know it from a societal view or a, a stigmatized view however it may be. So I think that this account and just sort of meeting all these wonderful people has really shown me that we are all human first. And that is, that is the most important thing is that we are all humans and we all deserve to have a human response to things. And remembering that as we move through our lives and we connect with different people of different professions and different careers, and we may carry stereotypes that come with some of those careers and remembering that we're all humans first. We, we came, we all, we all were born into this world a blank slate. And I think remembering that and understanding that we're humans is really powerful. Wow. Do you really, well, first of all, I completely agree with that. Mm. Um, I feel like, you know, I, I often find myself saying like, we're all just humans. Like, like we have yeah. to relate to each, we can all relate to each other on that basic level. Yeah. But Carly, you ran, you, you, you 
I don't usually scribble down this many useful thoughts in one, in one in one conversation, but I'm just going to rattle off a couple of things you said and a couple of yeah. reactions. Toxic positivity. I love that line. Yeah. And do you you know what's interesting though? Some of the most people who are the most toxically positive are the ones who are on anxiety medication. Interesting. I never I, really thought about that. I, I haven't either, but I, I know a couple of people who are like ridiculously positive. And then you find out like, yeah, I'm suffering from anxiety and mm. you know, I take X or Y medication. Mm. I don't know whether that's a thing, but if, if you said mm. to me, toxic positivity, the three people I think about right away are all people who tell me that this, that oh. they're being treated for anxiety. So that's interesting. I don't, know, I don't know if that's a thing, but maybe I don't, don't think it's a thing, but maybe your sample size might be. Yeah, a my thing sample <laughs> size is slow or is small. Um, you can only meet people where you've met yourself. That, like, I might hang that one on my wall. So I have um, you don't you don't know me, but people who do know I have like four quotes right here above my computer that are my ah. four favorite quotes, and they usually they're all related to the way I look at things at, for the most part, my career. Um, mm -hmm. But they're good quotes that are career-related, like talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships. Michael mm -hmm. Jordan. In yeah. other words, stop trying to one-up your teammates, and you might yeah. do it as, as a group. I've got a few of those. Like, yeah. um, I never lose. I only win or learn. Mm. Nelson Mandela. Um, I like I've got, that. So there are a few good ones, but that one, is that an attributable quote, or is that a Carly quote? I would have to Google. I'm pretty I'm sure I've Google read it, it somewhere. Yeah, it's double a good check. quote. Yeah. Because it's true. One of the things I found, Carly, in my own journey yeah. is the more I understand myself yeah. and the more I attribute that to humanity, mm -hmm. you can relate much, much on a deeper level to others and it changes your relationship with others. Yeah, it does. Um, I, I have to admit, um, there was a time not that long ago um, where I was bemoaning the fact that I really don't have any friends and people who know me are like, mm -hmm. what are you talking about? Like, you know, yeah. so many people, yeah. lots of people like you, like this isn't, yeah. but it was that deeper level of, of, of relating to people and, yeah. and really getting to know people, which really comes with, with being coming more comfortable with yourself. Yeah. Um, for me, you use the word people pleaser. You know, yeah. If you're focused on pleasing people, you're not focused as much on relating to people on a deep level. Yeah, it's very true. And and it's yeah. the relating to people on a deeper level that is a far more rewarding relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just looking for their approval or looking for their kind of like you know kudos. Mm -hmm. um, so there's something really impactful by that comment. So I, I'm mm -hmm. gonna I'm gonna Google that one. And the last thing, and this is going to be a segue thing, so I'm going to yes. segue now, is you talked about healthcare professionals and how, you know, they're, they're humans too. Yeah. Uh, they have mental health issues too, mm -hmm. and we take that for granted. And mm -hmm. um, we don't necessarily address it. We just assume, well, they're, they're on a pedestal because they're healthcare professionals. And then we become disappointed or sometimes even led astray um, mm -hmm by them and it's not even intentional but but yeah. um because we've put them on a pedestal and not that um level playing field of humanity mm -hmm. that that we end up being hurt or disappointed so mm -hmm. why do i raise healthcare professionals because mm -hmm. carly you're going to medical school yes and yes. um i had a conversation um on my podcast last week about healthcare professionals, which I won't, I won't um, steal the punchline. I'll, I'll save it for later. Yeah. But um, tell us about uh, your medical school. You're you're in your third year. What are you studying, mm -hmm. and what are you looking to do with that? Yeah. So I've just finished year two, and I'm going into year three in June. So I'm essentially, I like to call myself third year, even though I'm not quite there yet. Right. Um, and I start clerkship. So I start doing all the rotations in the hospital. So my first two years have been clinical years. So studying like very like usual school. So like right. studying lectures and those types of things. And then in June, I start doing full-time in the hospital work. And I don't get paid. It's still student, but sadly, but I should work is like a very loose term. I feel in medicine, um, getting paid but, with experience. 
Ah, uh, yes. They love <laughs> to use that quote, don't they? <laughs> yes. Um, but I start working full time. My goal is to be an obstetrician and gynecologist. So okay. that's something that I'm really passionate about. Yeah. Um, specifically, um, you can also just sort of view like my Instagram page. I really love to support female identifying people who are going through something very similar to me. And that's what OBGYN just sort of focusing on that field. Because um, it's and- only because it's only women who actually have babies. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. You have to have a uterus, unfortunately, still to have a baby. Yeah. Apparently you have to have it. So (laughs) that's, that's my focus and really just focusing mainly on the mental health aspect. So obviously doing the surgical aspect, doing the clinical work, but my focus is actually improving perinatal mental health standards and screening and support and resources, because it's just something, you know, we talked about this before, Mitch, it's just something that we don't talk about. No. It's just something that we don't talk about. We don't talk about perinatal mental health. We don't talk about, because we sort of, we alluded to this, like birth is supposed to be this beautiful thing. Right. It's, you're bringing this beautiful being into the world. Yes, you are bringing a wonderful little child into the world and that's beautiful, but it's also not beautiful. There are so many aspects of pregnancy that just aren't great. And right. we don't talk about them. We don't talk about the discomfort. We don't talk about like your organs shifting in your cat in your body right. because you're growing literally a human. Right. Um, and we don't talk about all those things. We don't talk about the mental health aspects, the hormonal fluctuations that happen during pregnancy and postpartum. We don't talk about those things. And we also don't talk about what those things look like so we can better recognize them within our communities and among our friends and among our family members and refer them to say, Hey, maybe you should check in with your doctor. Like, I think that that's something, especially perinatal anxiety. And that's something that I'm really passionate about, Mm -hmm. not only because I have experienced anxiety, but because we don't have a valid screening tool for perinatal anxiety right now, we have one for perinatal depression, not anxiety. We don't have universal screening protocols for perinatal anxiety and often perinatal depression will mask signs of anxiety. Mm -hmm. So we don't actually see the perinatal anxiety piece and we aren't, we aren't truly aren't doing a very good job of helping the people who are struggling with anxiety because we're not doing the work to understand what it looks like so we can better apply it to the population and better understand what it looks like so we can identify those signs and symptoms. And sometimes they're very non-specific or sometimes they're very child specific and that's sort of what differs between postpartum or perinatal anxiety postpartum anxiety and just anxiety in general as a term mm-hmm. is understanding the differences and the nuances so that's something i'm very passionate about something that i'm pursuing right now along with my medical degree well and if you don't if you don't identify it diagnose it and treat it that that's when you st- you, your your um people start to spiral yeah. Because it's just one thing leads on top of another. It's kind of like anxiety in general, but worse. Yeah. Um, I say where, you know, anxiety in general, if it's untreated and, and unrecognized and it's that hyperactive brain that's creating this adrenaline, that's creating this anxiety and you don't mm-hmm. recognize it and you don't treat it, it just gets worse yeah. and worse and worse. Yeah. And and perinatal is to me even a more sensitive and, and important matter because, mm-hmm. you know, too many women mm-hmm. um and i would i would include their 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 spouses or partners in this population but mm-hmm. as you said you're having a baby you're you're, yeah. you're it's both it's supposed to be the happiest moment in your life and you might be surrounded by friends family grandparents or whomever who are like just so thrilled and you're like there's something terribly wrong with me for yeah. not being as thrilled as all these people around me. Yeah. And that is an easy recipe to keep things to yourself and you keep things to yourself and it goes untreated and undiagnosed mm-hmm. and, and the spiral can occur. And that is just not right. Nope. Not just, not just for the mother, but for society, because if mom's in a bad place, it doesn't put the baby in the best place. It doesn't put the baby in the best place. It doesn't put society in the best place. Mm-hmm. So this is super yeah. duper important. And I love the fact that you've taken your personal anxiety um, his, his story, your mm-hmm. Instagram help others story, your medical school story to that point. To me, yeah. that's a powerful point. Now, Carly, one of the things that, now here's where the punchline comes back. See, I didn't forget. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had a guest on my podcast last week, for those of my mm-hmm. 
avid listeners who listen regularly. Others may be like, oh, I haven't listened to that episode yet. But it's um, with a woman uh, named Nikki Wilson, who's the CEO of a UK-based organization called Make Birth Better. Uh It's all about birth trauma. And it all started with her personal birth trauma. And she you know, went ahead and learned and studied and was able to help others. And now she runs this company with um, healthcare professionals um, in the space. But here's the interest. Here's the punchline, Carly. Mm -hmm. She mentioned to me that it's not just treatment of the parents. Mm -hmm. It's the healthcare professionals. Yeah. And it's funny because when she said it, um, I had a flashback. There was a guest on my podcast a couple of years ago who's a friend of mine. So I mm-hmm. know her personally. Yeah. And she's a Reiki healer. Okay. And yeah. she actually did Reiki on me. Mm-hmm. And um, she told me that she was doing, I just saw her on her Instagram page a couple months ago that she, uh, less than about a month ago, that she's doing Reiki healing at a children's mm-hmm. hospital. And oh. I said, and I called her up. I said, oh my goodness. You're doing Reiki healing in a children's hospital. Are you doing Reiki yeah. on young kids going through chemo or other yeah. other terrible? Because it was a, it was. I saw her standing with some children who, oh yeah, had no hair and obviously were going through chemo. And mm-hmm. she says, actually, no, I'm doing Reiki healing on their doctors. Oh wow! The yeah. hospital has called me to help their doctors deal with mm-hmm. the stress of having these these young patients who are suffering with cancer coming mm-hmm. right on the heels of being thrown into a two-year crisis with COVID. Mm-hmm. And um, they're the ones who need care. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm hearing a lot about this, you know, healthcare professionals are humans too. Yeah. As a theme. So um, you mentioned it as, you know, uh, in passing, but I'm just curious whether um, any of this resonates with you in terms of what you're pursuing. Oh, yes. I think that, you know, yeah, I have like a few capstone goals in my life and like to guide and to lead just seem to, to flow really nicely in my life. And I find that, you know, healthcare providers don't always know one, what resources they have available to them. Two, they really don't know what they may be signing up for. Um, a lot of people might be in their early 20s, maybe haven't experienced any struggles, and then they go right into medical school, or they go right into nursing school, or they go right into school, and they have to navigate all of these things. So I think that understanding where that comes from and how best to support yourself, no matter what profession you are, is an extremely valuable thing. And again, that's what I said, like, you can only meet someone at the depth that you've met yourself. And if you haven't met yourself at any depth, it's going to be really difficult for you to set those boundaries, to see when you need to set those boundaries, to look for those signs and look for those ways that you need to better take care of yourself. And yes, there are a ton of of systematic, systemic-based issues that we also need to address because the support may not be there. The time off may not be there. The things that we need may not be there to help best support us or just the, the work community in general, the hours, the compensation, all of those things aren't necessarily, they haven't changed yet either. There are lots mm-hmm. of things. I feel like we could do an entire podcast just solely on healthcare professional mental health because yes. it's a big one. Um, but it's so important to see what you can do as an individual, because sometimes when you look at the, the systemic things it gets really overwhelming because you're like, how can I make change in all of these really large level things? And it can be really overwhelming, especially being only one healthcare professional in a sea of, you know, so many, but Mm -hmm. also in a sea of a bunch of corporations and a bunch of like larger, more business type people. And I think what's very valuable is to focus on what can I do for myself? And that's what I've done. I've truly just focused on What can I do for me and how can this begin to radiate and overflow to others? And that's how all of this has come about. And that's how I will continue to live my life is allowing myself to use this momentum, use this interest and this flow to, to start making change at those larger levels, but maybe in ways that I don't even understand right now, maybe in ways that I don't even see, and I'm just going to let it happen. Whatever happens right now, it's focused on me, but so many healthcare professionals struggle. We need better mental health resources for healthcare professionals. We need better awareness, better support, um, changes to the workforce. We need a lot of things. But right now, we can focus on what we can control in this moment, and it's ourselves. So agreed. And with that, 
I want to ask you one final question. Yeah. Um, we're running out of time and I wanted to um, kind of conclude on this. So let's assume yeah. we're talking to the average listener. Yeah. The average listener who may not be suffering from some chronic or acute anxiety um, attack or panic attack, but mm. that a lot of this is resonating with them. They're like, yeah. oh my gosh, I have those moments or I have those stretches of time where I'm feeling what, what Mitch and Carly just talked about. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I need to do about it, but I certainly mm-hmm. would like to be able to handle the next moment yeah. better than I have in the past. Yeah. So that's to me, I think that's almost everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think almost everyone would do themselves good by at least trying to handle the next moment better than the last. So yeah. in other words, don't boil the ocean one small yeah. step at a time. Yeah. Carly, mm-hmm. give us Carly's one small step. Doesn't have to be perfect. First thing yeah. that comes to your mind, one small step that person could take to make mm-hmm. that next anxious bout uh, handled better than the last one. Yeah. Okay. There are so many things that I could do. The first one that comes to mind for me is remember that your thoughts are not facts. They do not hold control over you. A lot of the time in anxiety, we start to hear thoughts in our minds and often they're intrusive, often they're negative, often they are not pleasant. We don't appreciate these thoughts and our immediate response is to resist them. Our immediate response is to say, that's terrible or hyper-focus on it because now you're like, hold on. Like for example, like you're cutting vegetables and like a thought that comes into your mind is like, oh, just cut your finger off or like something something ridiculous, but like, that's so acutely jarring, truly, that we're going to try to hyper-focus on it. We're going to be like, well, why would we say that? And in those moments where you start to see that kickstart of that spiral, that sort of lighting of the match, if you will, of exactly what's going to kickstart a lot of those thoughts for you, start to recognize. And I just want you to observe with gentle curiosity that your thoughts are not facts and neither are your feelings. Feelings are also not facts. Feelings are fleeting. Feelings and emotions are things that pass. Thoughts are things that pass. And if we allow them to pass, they will. If we keep holding them there and resist them and try to push them away, it's like trying to fight clouds. I don't know if anyone's ever tried that because clouds mm-hmm. are literally gas, but it, 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 sounds pretty, it sounds pretty futile to me. You start to fight a cloud and it literally doesn't move because it's mist in the air. And it's the same thing with a thought. If we try to fight our thoughts, we create more anxiety and more resistance around them. If we remind ourselves that they're facts, and focus on how we can be kind and curious to ourselves and be like, oh, I wonder why this is coming up for me or just let it pass. Sometimes there isn't a why. And I think that that's another valuable thing is thoughts are not facts. and You don't always have to find the why in every single situation. Sometimes that adrenaline just gets released and that's okay. Allowing it to release and allowing it and accepting it can be more powerful sometimes than meeting it with a solve or a resistance of like, why is this here? I need to get rid of this one thing. Sometimes there just isn't an answer and that's okay. So remember thoughts are not facts. They pass and they're always fleeting. So remembering that in those moments and practicing compassion, be kind to yourself, be supportive to yourself because you are the one that's going to get you through this. Having the most wonderful support system in the world can do something for you, but it's amazing how much more support and how much more growth you can get from supporting yourself. Wow. Carly, good closing thoughts. I love that. I'm really, I I have to just say, I'm going to say this and I'm going to leave it in the recording. This is going in the podcast. Okay, look, I, 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 so Carly, just so you know, because I, I, I'm sure you're not a super avid Me- Mediocrity podcast listener, but you're the 104th episode of the Me- Mediocrity podcast. Wow, so exciting. Thinking about all of the um, guests I have, some friends, some families, as some random Instagram people like yourself, some people that I've always Ooh. wanted to speak with. It's rare that the randoms are as enlightening and thoughtful and helpful to me personally, as you have been. Oh, thank so you. So I just wanted to say thank you. You're amazing. I love what you're doing. I love how your journey has evolved from personal to personal growth to podcast or to Instagram to, to Instagram page for others to medical school to for, to medical school to help the, perhaps the most vulnerable people at a deeper level. That 
is progression. And that is really, really having an impact on, on society. So thank you. Thank you to me. Thank you for what you're doing. And I, I'm very impressed. Oh, thank you. Thank you for creating this space. I feel like we wouldn't be able to share and chat if we didn't have your space to do so. So thank you for inviting me and thank you for being so thoughtful with your comments and with your questions. I really appreciated this conversation. We will definitely stay in touch. Yes, I think so too. All right, Carly, take care. Bye. So there you have it. Another excellent conversation. And as I said earlier, this one was a very pleasant surprise given the fact that Carly was kind of a random find by my podcast assistant or production assistant, Vic, who thought Carly's Instagram page looked interesting, did a little bit of a looking around and said, wow, she's very interesting. And, um, what I didn't mention in the podcast, but I'll mention now and I'll mention in the show notes, Carly does have a new Healing the Anxious Mind website, which I will um, give you the link to. It should be www.healingtheanxiousmind, all one word, .com. Um, one of the things I really like is this whole concept of her, Carly's personal growth how she went from a personal anxiety experience to an Instagram page and some self-learning. Actually, I think it was more self-learning than the Instagram page. And then to come up with the next steps of going to medical school and looking into perinatal mental health as a a concentration, that's a huge thing. Um, The other thing I really liked is um, her quote from the Joshua Fletcher book, um, that said um, that anxiety is really only just adrenaline. So it's not really learning how to cope with anxiety. It's learning how to cope with adrenaline or an adrenaline rush, which actually um, makes it seem more manageable. So um, look, I had some personal learnings from this episode around anxiety, around some useful quotes, around toxic positivity, a lot of interesting things that I hope you did too. Um Just a little bit of a heads up, next week's podcast episode is going to be me solo, which I I know means you will be very interested to hear my insights and observations on five seasons, 105, it will be 105 episodes. And, and, and what it's been for me, my, my listeners and, and more. So with that, I wish you to continue to stay safe, healthy, happy, and well. And um, with that, take care, everyone, and have a great week. Bye-bye.